just a youngster. I'm so glad to be back with you uh, after last year's uh, announcement. It's been a year of cancer treatment, and I'm afraid that uh, you're going to have to put up with me for a little while longer. I am now technically a cancer survivor. I've got hair growing back. It's almost as long as it was this time last year. Uh, it's a different color. It's a different texture. It's, uh, it's, it's new every morning. <laughs> we should call my hair Mercy. That's hair. right. Yes. The mercy it of is, God, Sally's is. hair. Absolutely. Grateful for your prayers and your thoughts uh, over the last year. Mm. It has been amazing to see the outpouring of love uh, come my way. Thank you for that, and thank mm. you for being with us today. I am so honored that I get to be here with my pastor, Pat Bills, whom I lovingly call Brother Big. So if I slip and call him Brother Big, uh, you'll forgive me, but I'm, I'm really glad that uh, Pat is here uh, we're from the Highland Oaks Church in Dallas, and, uh, well, we could go on all day about Highland Oaks, but we won't do that. Uh, it's a great place, and we're thrilled to be here. You have some brochures in front of you that you should have gotten from uh, the guys at the door. If you don't have those brochures, please be sure and get some. I want to call your attention especially to this little green card that looks like the slide up above. Make sure that you have one of those at least. And if you want to take dozens of those home to people in your area, to your church leaders, to families that you know who may be interested in coming to the E3 conference in October, please grab some of those. Right now we're going to pass out a note card and I would encourage you as we talk, as we go along, now's your chance to ask any question that you've always wanted to ask. Any question that you've had about homosexuality. I can't promise you that I can answer it. I can't promise you that Pat can answer. But we're going to try to answer as many of those questions as we can toward the end of the second session. So write your questions down. Don't be afraid. Uh, I taught middle school. I think I can handle just about any embarrassing question that you throw my way. But be sure to do that. We've also got a sign-up sheet that my friend Rhett is going to be passing around. If you want to keep up with Centerpiece through email, if you want to receive our monthly email newsletters, put your name and email address. Please write legibly so that we can uh, make sure that that's right and it doesn't bounce. But sign up there and we'll put you on our list. Hey, I, I just want to say thanks for coming. I know that sounds like the thing that people are supposed to say at the beginning of a class, but there's a lot of other options that you could have chosen and we are honored that you're here. I want to call your attention to a few events. Uh, one of the things that I love most about Sally is that Sally is in the business of providing meaningful resources. And before I, I go through these resources very quickly, I just want to clarify or give you what I think Centerpiece is about. Centerpiece is not about changing anyone's doctrine, but rather Centerpiece is about creating meaningful dialogue. Sally believes strongly that 
unless people come around a table and talk with one another about issues like same-sex attraction or homosexuality, which is an interesting difference I hope you'll address later. Um, we will uh, try to help you understand that really there is no manipulative agenda other than creating dialogue about something that matters to us, to our children, and to your community. That's right. If you look at the brochures, uh, we've got several events coming up. Of course, the E3 Conference Peace Prints. Uh, this is specifically for uh, parents to come together with other parents who have children, who have said, uh, I'm transgendered, I'm, I'm gay, I'm lesbian, and it's a beautiful weekend where they can come together and listen to one another and offer uh, support and encouragement. And there are all kinds of meaningful relationships that come out of a Peace Prince uh, retreat. Uh, that's in July. Tapestry. Um, this is for those who are actually experiencing same-sex attraction. I love this last line. If you're longing to deepen your relationship with God, come to the Tapestry Retreat. There is lots of worship. There is lots of conversation. Most importantly, there is a deep sense of love at this retreat from caring adults and mentors. Um, next, we have the Peace Makers Retreat, and this has taken a little bit of a hiatus because of uh, Sally's health. I don't want to say her illness, her health, but Peacemakers is back in business, and we need your church to call Sally, uh, call one of our shepherds, if you want to, at Highland Oaks, and say, I want to know more about Peacemakers. What is that about? And Sally can come, or one of Sally's faithful representatives will come, and we will try to create that healthy dialogue that I hope that we are going to model for one another. And then finally, the E3 conference, which is a biannual, biannual, is that right? Uh, actually, every other year. Is, is that the same as biannual? Biannual would be twice a year. That would be great, but we can't do that. Okay, anyway, every other year. Um, E3 conference, October 4th through the 7th. Uh, this year it'll be at the Highland Oaks Church in Dallas. It's an easy place to fly into, and I hope you can come. Uh, be a part. Uh, it was such a great yeah. gathering uh, two years ago. I, I want to begin and, and just pray. And then can I, I, can I throw in one thing about E3 that I'm really excited about? You have 60 seconds. Go. Justin Lee is coming. He's the author of Torn. He is the founder of the Gay Christian Network and Excellent. a wonderful uh, Christian young man who grew up in Southern Baptist tradition. But he has a beautiful story and he loves the Lord and I'm thrilled that he's going to be with us. Excellent. Justin Lee, buy his book. It's on Amazon. It's great stuff. Let's pray. God, in your faithfulness, help us to become deeply aware that when we pray that we are not the only ones with something to say. That we believe with the deepest places of who we are that you, in fact, speak. That through the mysterious work and presence of the Holy Spirit, you reveal things to us that matter to you. We long for our heart to beat with whatever your heart beats for whoever your heart beats with. God, give us your heart so that we can learn to love 
in deeper ways. But God, give us also an awareness of not only what truth is, but who truth is. And help us to follow Jesus more than we do anything or anyone else. Jesus, this is for your fame and for your glory. Oh God, make yourself known and pour through Sally and I your good gifts this day. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, before Sally launches out <clears throat> those index cards, we're going to deal with those questions in the next hour. And there's no way we can get to everyone's question. So uh, we're going to try to shuffle through those questions during our, our brief break or intermission and try to categorize those and try to address some of those questions that you write down. We'll take those up at the end of this class. Sally? So why are we back? If I was here in 2004 and it's 2018, why do we still need a class like this? Because in 2004, some of you were not here. Mm -hmm. And in 2004, for some of you, this was not on your radar. It was just simply not a question that you were concerned about yet. You see, there are children being born today whose parents will hear in 12, 13, 14, 15, 18, 20 years from today, Mom, Dad, I think I may be gay. I, I don't really know what that looks like or what that's supposed to look like, but I think that's where I am, and, and I don't know what to do with that. I pray that they will have parents whose children feel free and safe to ask that kind of question and that they'll know how to respond. And that's why we need this class. Yeah. We need a class like this so that we can learn because there's still the need to understand. When you haven't talked about something, there's no understanding. And this is quite simply something that we have never, ever talked about until the last 14 years. Mm. And for some of us, this may be the very first time we've ever gone to a class that had anything to do with same-sex attraction. There's still fear, but most importantly, there's still the pain. There's still the pain from all of us who identify as LGBTQ, there's the pain that if somehow we take on that identification as part of who we are too, that we automatically will not be able to identify as Christian. And brothers and sisters, there's simply not anything further from the truth. So where are we as a body of believers? Where, where are we? You know, my tribe is in Churches of Christ. I grew up in the Church of Christ, and I have a great love for the body of believers who raised me and taught me about Jesus. There's great respect there. And so it's been my heart's desire, as many of my brothers and sisters who are LGBTQ, to remain in Churches of Christ. Where are we on that? I would venture to say that we are probably a little more diverse in our views than we were in 2004, but we still have folks at both ends of the spectrum 
We have people in every church that we visit. And last year we visited 25 to 30 churches across the country. And in those churches you will find people who are what we call affirming. In other words, they would be supportive of same-sex relationships. They would be supportive of marriage equality. At the same time, on the other hand, there are people in those churches who believe that the mere presence of feelings of same-sex attraction is a sin. Talk about a wide range of viewpoints. <laughs> I would say that most of us fall somewhere in the middle where we don't know what we think, again, because we have not engaged in this conversation, at least to any real depth. We've not had conversations with people who experience same-sex attraction, who identify as gay or lesbian, transgender. We haven't talked to anybody, so how can we know and we find ourselves in this middle place because the one thing that we do know is that God is love and that Jesus beckons all of us to the table. We know those things. I learned those things from you and for that I will be eternally grateful. But with the rest of it, we just don't know. And so I think we're a little at both ends of the spectrum. So why do we need to have healthy dialogue? Why do we need a class like this? And why do you need to sit down with your shepherds and have this conversation? And not just once, not just twice, but to make it an ongoing checkup. Because you see, when we have neglected something for so long, it's going to take us a long time to catch up. It's going to take us a long time before we understand, before it's not as big a deal as we have unnecessarily made it. We need healthy dialogue because there are people who come to my home once a month. We started something new this year called Just Dinner. That's what we call ourselves, the Just Dinner Group. And I invited some of my friends who identify as LGBTQ some who are in mixed orientation marriages, who identify as bisexual, some who are gay, who are married to someone of the same sex. But the thing that we have in common is that we love Jesus and we are starved for a place to belong, a church family in which we can belong and not just come and sit on the back pew but to engage and participate and be involved just like the families that we grew up in mm -hmm. were involved in every aspect of the work of the church. And yet the people in my living room over dinner don't feel like they belong. They've not been able to find a place where they feel welcomed and utilized, where they can use the gifts that God gave them to serve the kingdom. That's their heart's desire. And so we meet in my living room and it's like home church. Someone said just last time, this feels more like my life group than any life group I ever was in at church because here I can be real. I can be authentic. I can talk about every aspect of myself. 
not just the ones that are socially acceptable within that context of church. That's a beautiful thing because when you can be authentic and real, that's when real healing begins. That's why we need to have this class. Yeah. So uh, for the next few moments, uh, we're going to think out loud. Um, and I, I'd invite you to listen and dialogue alongside of us. Uh, this first half is going to kind of be making a case for uh, why this conversation matters. And the second half is going to really dive into how we can have this conversation in some helpful ways. If you read USA Today yesterday, they did a poll of uh, Gen Z's and how they are living with particular anxieties and depression. And USA Today surveyed 20,000 Americans. Did anybody see this yesterday? 47% of Americans surveyed, 20,000, said they, have, they feel currently left out. 46% say that they are somewhat or always feeling alone. And 18% say they have no one to talk to. What do you think the stats would do if we took a poll of those same people just in churches of Christ who have some familial connection with the LGBTQ conversation? I would say those stats would go way, way up based upon the people that Sally talks to and based upon the folks that we interact with in our community. We simply have to discover a helpful way to talk about this. One of the things that's dangerous is I think we take sides. And we're too quick to take sides. I heard somebody conversing about another theological issue, and they led with the following statement. I just want somebody to get in the ring and fight with me. And I wanted to stop them because I agreed with their theological trajectory. I just didn't agree with their starting place. Because their starting place was a fight. Their starting place is, well, we'll get into the ring and fight with me. And, and our question is simply, why does this have to be so combative? Because the parents who come to our church, the, the parents of, of our children at Highland Oaks, in our schools in Garland, and in Dallas, in Mesquite. They're in the fight of their life, and the last place they should look for that fight is in the local church. The other thing that's dangerous is not only taking sides, but also making assumptions. And this happens all the time through social media, based upon whether somebody likes something or retweets something. Uh, it would do the church a lot of good if everyone over the age of 40 stayed off Facebook. <laughs> and the reason why I say over the age of 40 is because if you don't know this or not, your high school and middle school students aren't on Facebook. It has become the place where adults interact in passive-aggressive ways, where you can say anything, comment on anything, and not have to look someone else in the eye. And I think that can be destructive dialogue. Two examples. There was a couple whose son got married to their partner, and they were very proud. They posted this picture on the Internet, and several people at the church, even on the church's staff, liked the photo. The elders received a 10-page letter about the staff liking the photo, never asking the staff why they liked the photo. 
destructive communication. There's another couple, married couple, male and female couple, that was asked by a gay son who had been disowned by his parents to stand in as surrogate parents for his wedding to his partner. They agreed out of deep love and compassion. They felt led that this was the Jesus thing to do. Regardless of whether they were in support of the marriage or not, they felt like no kid ought to go to their wedding without some parental figure there. They stood at the wedding in the family pictures. A picture was posted to Facebook and their church, two states away, discontinued their support for working in Latin America simply because they were in the picture. No questions asked, no dialogue, a simple assumption. Folks, we got to do better. I mean, for people who are so well-versed in the Bible, you might want to read Matthew 18. And, and I don't want to be... You know, I don't want to be so punitive or so casual with that, but whatever happened with picking up the phone and calling somebody? Because you cannot read intonation or facial expressions and especially attitude through written words. That's why centerpiece matters to me. Sally has taught me the importance of face-to-face -face dialogue, and that's what I hope we create. Here are some good questions that I don't think are easily answered. If you have something to write with, uh, I would love for you to help me answer these questions because we've wrestled with these questions uh, at our church, in our faith community, in our classes, but they don't have easy answers. Uh, first, why is the Bible clear to some and not to others about how you can navigate this, this tension? Uh, how is it so clear to some and not to others? Yeah, you know, a few weeks ago, I heard a story of a preacher that, that crafted a, a particular plan with a group of ministers and even a group of shepherds, and, and they brought this plan, and it was a plan for membership, how to be more strategic, how to think more theologically about membership. And they brought the document to the elder group, and the elder who read it Opening comment was, I just think the whole thing's unscriptural. Let me ask you something. Does that encourage dialogue or discourage dialogue? When somebody takes the posture of the whole thing's unscriptural. Or if someone leads with, I don't know where you stand, but I stand on the authority of the word of God. That's been said to me on several occasions. And I'll be honest with you, friends, I don't know how to have a conversation with somebody who's already determined who's won and who's lost. I mean, can we not begin with, I understand that you have a degree and even a postgraduate degree, and you've spent a lot of time looking at this. Help me understand some conclusions you've come to rather than beginning with, well, I stand on the Word of God. Where do you stand? Secondly, have we elevated this topic to a morally simplistic issue of simply something that's right or wrong? Now, I, I know some of you are pushing back right now in your minds, and that's okay. But I want to acknowledge how complex this issue is. And I put issue in air quotes because 
it doesn't feel good to be discussed as an issue, does it? No. Can I get a shout out from anybody who's ever been divorced in the churches of Christ? What it's like to be an issue or my friends who are wrapped in a different colored skin than I am to be talked about as an issue. It, it is hard when we just say, well, it's pretty clear what we should do. Uh, let me go back to the divorce issue. It was really clear what to do with divorce until the elder's kids started getting divorced. <laughs> I mean, it, it's pretty clear, right? God hates divorce. I mean, let's look through Paul. Don't get remarried. It's very black and white in plain English. I, I feel like we're having the same conversation with the LGBTQ conversation. Perhaps it's not as simplistic as we'd like for it to be, because like it or not, those of us in the West need things to be black and white. We don't do well with gray area. We don't do well with mystery. Third, how do you navigate a topic that is just so complex? When I say complex, there are more factors involved than simply someone having feelings for someone else of the same sex. What happens when you have a family come to a church and that family has a son or they have children and there has been a divorce and the children come with the dad and the dad's partner and the church simply wants to say, listen, you've got to repent of your sin and go the other direction when all that dad is trying to do is to get their children into a Bible class. It is more complex than simply having feelings for someone else. It, it is more complex when you talk to a parent who has prayed that their child would not have gay feelings because their child has prayed to not have gay feelings and they still have gay feelings. What do you do with that? Does that person's prayer not matter as much? This is deeply complex. Or a conversation I was in just last week when someone told me, Pat, my sexual identity is so tied to who I am. I filter everything you say through that lens. I'll be honest. I am not gay. And I have no idea what it's like to be gay. And I think we would do well to probably begin admitting that before we tell somebody what it's like to be right or wrong. Next question, why is there such a generational divide on this particular issue? I have four sons, Joshua, Caleb, Daniel, and Andrew. Joshua is going to be a senior in high school. He has a really, really high justice meter. My son will fight for anybody on the margins. Uh, his blood pressure goes way up when anybody on the margins is being criticized or joked about. My son cannot conceive of a church not allowing one of his friends who claims to be gay to be a part. He can't conceive. It makes no sense to him. And, and I could, for argument's sake, sit across the table from my son and give him every theological perspective about why this is wrong. He is still not going to understand how in the world Jesus would not welcome that person into a church. So, so I think there's a huge generational divide. At the same time, 
I have struggled in conversations, even with my own parents, about what to do with this conversation. And it is really, really difficult. And I don't pretend to have easy answers, but if you thought having conversations about clapping or praise teams was hard, <laughs> stand by. Next question. Is the mantra, hate the sin and love the sinner, a healthy approach? No. No. And I'm sorry to be so upfront and direct, but I have not talked to a single friend of mine who is gay, lesbian, or transgender that said, you know, after I heard that elder come to me and say that he really hates what I do but loves me, man, that just really changed my mind. Because what I want to say is, how's that working for you? Because when you begin with language of hate, it shuts doors. It stops conversation. It does not encourage dialogue. Uh, you know, one other thing that I want you to think about. Uh, let, let's just say that a, that a gay couple comes to your church and they want to join and your church's response is, we would love for you to be a part, but we simply cannot, cannot welcome your partner. But we still want to love you anyway. Well, why is that? Well, because we choose to uh, hate the sin and love the sinner. How in the world is someone supposed to feel welcome if you are saying that you hate the relationship they are in with the most important person in their life at the moment? It's hard. And I'm not saying we've got easy answers, nor are Sally and I saying you've got to change your doctrine. We just need to talk about this. Then finally, how can you include and embrace anyone without compromising theological rocks? When I say theological rocks, there have got to be some things that stand in front of other things. So we're going to get into this the next hour, but you know, my, one of my questions is, do we want to start in Corinth? Do we want to start in Sodom and Gomorrah? Do we want to start with Jesus? Which one of those stands in front of the others? Because you are viewing this issue through a particular interpretive lens, and it's really, really critical to think about that question. But Sally or I, neither one, are suggesting that you must compromise your theological rocks we just don't want you to assume that your theological rocks are the same as everybody else. Or because somebody has a different theological rock than you do, then somehow they love Jesus less than you do. These are hard conversations. I'm going to quote two of my elders, one of which is here right now, Barry Packer, who I'm very grateful. We have wonderful shepherds at the Highland Oaks Church. Barry didn't say this, but he would have. <laughs> One of my shepherds said, after a long conversation several months ago, the thing I cannot get over is just how inclusive Jesus was. And that stuck with me. It's so simple. I just can't get over how inclusive Jesus was. And I challenge you to go back and look at the people Jesus spent time with and who Jesus was hardest on. 
Oh, but don't forget about John 8. And he told the woman to go and sin no more. We'll get to that next hour. Um, but the other thing one of my shepherds said that I really, really liked is, I just don't want us to be afraid to speak about truth. Yes. That, that is not what we're saying. And when I say we, I mean Sally and I. We are not encouraging you to compromise your discernment of what is truth. But my question is, are you asking what is truth or are you asking who is truth? Because those two questions matter a lot. And one stands in front of the other. But that's a conversation for next hour. So, what's most hurtful about this particular conversation? What's most hurtful involves our, our children. When we're loath to talk about something, um, our kids are the ones who, who get left out. Because this conversation is nothing new. Even if it's your first time to be in, involved in the conversation, it's not new. It uh, started in a new way at least 22 years ago when Ellen DeGeneres came out on national television. Yeah. And, and most of our children who through college age have never grown up at a time when it was not socially acceptable in public to say I'm gay. That was the language that was used. There's been a whole slew of other language that we don't even have time to go into today. And meanwhile, in our churches, we didn't enter into that conversation at all. And so your children have learned a lot of things from television, from movies, and most of all today from the internet. Mm -hmm. And there's any, anything available for them to learn. Something different, something that wouldn't necessarily have been what you would have taught them about sexuality on the internet. And, and so your children have different views. That's why, that's why Pat's oldest son says, I'm not going to go to a church where a gay person is not allowed. It's because his perspective and his understanding is different because his experience has been different. Now, we can say that, well, we can't acknowledge that at all. Oh, but we must. If we want to have any influence at all, if we want to be able to engage our children in conversation, we have to acknowledge that their experience drives. And here's what some of their experiences are. The 14-year-old boy who's mother wrote me an email and said, can we please come to your church? Could my son be involved there? Because, you see, he was involved with the worship ministry for the children and the children's church, but he went to his youth minister because he was having feelings of attraction for other boys, and he didn't know what that was like. He thought he might be gay, and he went and talked to the youth minister and poured his heart out, knowing that that's where we go for answers for guidance and the youth minister not knowing what to say or how to respond went to the older and wiser children's minister and then he sent a text 
to a 14-year-old boy saying, you can no longer be a part of children's church. You can no longer stand up and simply sing over a microphone with adult supervision in every corner of the room, never having a time alone with a child as if that would have made a difference. He was cast out. Or the 15-year-old who came out to his youth group believing that that of all places was his safe place. Mm. Only to be told that all during the summer of going to camp and going on overnight trips and having lock-ins that he could only go if he took his father with him. That only if his father stayed in the room with him was he welcome. My brothers and sisters, those responses show our total lack of understanding and inexperience in responding to anybody who is gay, but especially to our babies. And in those actions, we shape in a heartbeat what we not only think of, of church, but what we think of God. Mm-hmm. Is it any wonder that the adults in their 30s and 40s in my living room, around the table, at dinner, talk about how hurtful their experiences at church are and how they really are not comfortable going anywhere to church. Children who thought they could trust us, of all people, to tell. That's what hurts the most. You know, something that was said at the last E3 conference that um, I've always thought about, but I never heard so clearly. Uh, A friend of mine was on the stage, and he said, you know, the suicide rate for our teenagers who are gay, uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, the suicide rate is astronomically high. Shouldn't that be reason enough for us to at least be in dialogue about this? I mean, is really the first thing you're going to say to a kid is, you know, you're wrong, right? I mean, if I were a kid, that would make me want to do something drastic to myself because I don't want to be wrong. So what other option is there if it is just so black and white? And, and you know, Pat, the thing is, we know that you believe that it's wrong. As if we didn't know <laughs> that that it, it it was wrong. Who's we, Sally? The LGBTQ okay. community. Of course we do. We've grown up, as Pat said, 86% of us have grown up in devoutly Christian homes. Not just Easter and Christmas Christians, but three times a week Christians in my generation. And we know what to believe. Mm. You know, churches that tell before they do any kind of listening Mm -hmm. are more prone to create uh, a sense of silence and, sadly, of shame because we know not to say anything because we know that you're going to tell us that it's wrong. And beyond that, there are no answers. Just don't do that, as though this was only about behavior 
that's a great misunderstanding among church folk is that this is simply about sexual behavior and you can just not do that. It goes much deeper than that. And so when we try to address this in a posture of telling without listening and we come up with policy statements that simply address behavior and it makes us feel good and it makes our membership feel good it makes those in our congregation feel better. We add to this burden of silence and to the burden of shame because we know how you feel about us. And the truth is I didn't have anywhere to go to ask because I didn't want to disappoint the people that I loved the most and who loved me the most. So I was trapped. Whereas if somebody had ever opened the conversation to say, let's talk about this because we have people in our midst and we always have. We always have. The problem with policy statements is that they silence. They silence the very people that you claim you're trying to welcome and probably more damning is the inconsistency with which we draft policy statements. We want a policy on marriage and sexuality. We want a policy that says we believe marriage is between a man and a woman. Do we have a policy that follows up then once they are married that they are to then stay married? And if they do marry that they are not to remarry or they do divorce they are not to remarry? Because I could stand here and say, the Bible's very clear to me on that. We at one time did too. Do we have a policy statement on that or do we have a policy statement on greed? Do we have a policy statement that says, this is how this church believes that God calls us to use our financial resources and unless you are willing to commit to this certain percentage of your income, is there anything scriptural in that? <laughs> I, I don't know. I know what Jesus said to the rich young ruler, though. And somehow we've taken that verse to be figurative. You see, we're inconsistent. And it's our inconsistency. It's our great, great concern about this one area of a person's life to the total neglect of all of these other places that I believe the Lord holds just as dear as my sexuality. Mm. That's what's most damning about those policy statements to me. You know, another thing that's damning, and I... I can't even believe that I still have to say this. Go ahead. But we're still telling jokes. We're still laughing and scoffing. We're still making crass statements about characters on a television show. When we'll watch people in heterosexual sexual sin all day long and never ever bat an eye.
And, and can I add one more thing, Sally? Sure. Uh, it, I love the quote from Remember the Titans. When, uh, you know, Bertier is kind of pushing his friend around. Bertier, you know, get your attitude in order. Kid looks at him and says, attitude reflect leadership. And until our leaders cease the joking and the jest about the LGBTQ community, the conversation will not change. And I know it's complex because, I, I mean, I hear it almost weekly. Well, Pat, there's just so many letters. What does Q mean? What does B mean? I read the other day somebody's pansexual. What does that mean? And, and just their tone has nothing to do with the spirit of Jesus. It rather has the spirit of politics. And my question is, can we learn how to converse about this without being so belittling or just so unaware of how hurtful it is, especially to our children, to hear adults joke and jest about a topic that is directly related to someone's identity. And you will not hear someone say something back to that. And the danger in that is that someone this age will surely not say anything, but if at home he's going through in his head, I wonder who I could talk to, I wonder who I could ask about this, I don't understand these feelings, I don't understand where this is coming from, I don't understand what this word means. When he hears those jokes come out of your mouth, when he hears the, the disgust, oh, I, just, I just don't get that. I just don't understand that. I, I, don't, I just can't see that. Will you be the one that he comes to? No. No, you won't. Because you have already shown yourself to be unsafe. I will come to someone who repeatedly shows kindness Someone who is overt in their gestures to say, this is something you can talk about with me. And that means that preachers have to stand up in the pulpit and talk about this in a different way. And it means that Sunday school teachers, Bible class teachers, have to be willing to talk about this and engage perhaps a whole series of lessons and maybe in our small groups we need to talk more lovingly because my mom and dad might be in your small group and unless you show yourselves to be willing to talk about this in a loving way, they will not subject their daughter to the kinds of comments that they might hear. Hmm. We've got to have people who will be true allies. You hear that a lot. You hear LGBTQ allies. Allies are not just people who don't make the jokes. Allies are people who, when they hear a joke, say, you know what, I would appreciate it if you wouldn't say that ever again in my presence. <laughs> or perhaps not so bold, but to simply say, you know, I have a friend who is gay. And I've learned over the years that those kinds of things are, are very hurtful. Maybe you didn't know that but I need you to know that those kinds of things really shut down conversations, especially with our kids.
So we, we've got about 10 minutes before we're going to take a break. Um, I want to encourage you, if you've got a question on an index card, uh, pass those to the end of the aisle. It's kind of like church, right? Pass it to the end of the aisle. Someone will collect those. Um, and uh, we're going to try to address some of those questions uh, in a moment. But before we conclude, uh, there's an image that Centerpiece uses that I want you to talk more about. You alluded to it in your just dinner. But, but there's an image of uh, a table that matters to you, Sally, and to this ministry. Help us understand why, why the table metaphor speaks so loudly. Because that's the metaphor that Jesus used. That's why that's so powerful. Jesus was kind of like Brad Pitt in all the Oceans movies, you know. He, <laughs> he's always eating. <laughs> he's always eating something. <laughs> nice. But Jesus is always feeding others, and he's always inviting other people to his table. It is his table. I don't get to make out the invitation list. But at that table, a lot of really big things can happen like a sense of belonging. This is not the group that meets at my house, but it could be. It could be. What if we started having gatherings like that in every one of your homes? Well, I don't know anybody. Oh, call me. I can tell you. I can tell you somebody that you need to call in your community and start talking about this openly, and you'll be amazed how people will be drawn to you then because they realize that you are willing to talk. If I don't get to come to the table, then I miss out on every good thing that Jesus wants to tell Sally at the table. You see, there's a lot in Sally that Jesus wants to make different some of those things I'm very well aware of, but I do not have the power, just like Rick was talking about last night, it will only be by the power of the Holy Spirit that I keep my temper in check or that I become less materialistic or less self-centered because not a day goes by that I don't struggle with those things. Nobody's real concerned about those things as far as my membership at my home church. As far as letting me sign the card. There are things that I'm not even aware of at this point. Things that I can't even see that I'm blind to. But those who are closest to me no. And they're aware. And they want to make different in me. Will they have more impact if they shun me and exclude me from the table and tell me we love you, but we just can't let you place membership here? We really can't let you be an integral part of our congregation because... You've got this area in your life that's really messed up and, and we don't believe that's God's best for you and we need you to 
prepare that before you come in. What about all the other things? As if my sexuality was, was all that there was about me, we, we, we rave against that. There are lots of things that Jesus wants Sally to become aware of, but I cannot do it without your help. And I cannot do it outside the door. I can only do it in this context of sharing a meal with somebody because there's something really, really endearing when you have sat around a table. My picture of heaven is just going from room to room to room of tables, starting with my grandmother's kitchen and that old chrome table with the yellow plastic seats and my grandpa holding me on his lap and my grandmother at the stove. That is heaven. It's a rounded table. Those memories are precious. It's amazing what Jesus can do at the table. And I love the fact that he will go into the highways and the byways to bring people in. Just like Pat brought me from Abilene to Dallas. Not that, you know, that was the wilderness, but <laughs> sort of. You bring people in. I love that parable because Jesus includes people who were left out initially. People that nobody else wanted to include at their table. Jesus was constantly eating with people that the Pharisees believed were unclean and certainly not welcome at their table. Our tables should be just as full of those of us who are unclean. Um, my, my invitation is, first of all, for you not to throw anything at Sally or I uh, in between these two classes. Uh, it's always interesting, the uh, dialogue that occurs after a class. Uh, and it's predominantly not because of anything we've said, but it's usually things we don't say. So I want to point you back to one of the things that I shared, is that the danger of assumptions. Uh, don't assume that just because we're not saying something that we hold a particular perspective or view. Uh, we're simply trying to be helpful, which is one of the beautiful things about church autonomy the way things have worked out at Highland Oaks uh, may not be the same way that it works out at your church. But, but we're really trying to encourage dialogue because this conversation is not going away. If anything, it's getting more complex and more muddied. And, and to simply say, well, it seems pretty clear to me, uh, doesn't seem like the best place to start. So um, I'm going to... I'm going to pray over, over Sally and, and over the rest of our time. Uh, I want to try to reconvene about 310, if that's okay. Um, and then we'll, we'd invite you to come, come talk to us. Uh, you can hopefully mingle with one another, uh, but I would be mindful of you. Uh, I also want to point out, uh, where are the Vollmerings in the back? Uh, this is Gil Vollmering. He's a shepherd at the North Davis Church. He's on the centerpiece board. And I hope that you'll go talk to Gil. Gil and Gail, Gail's his wife, Gail. Uh, Gil might be one of the best resources as far as a shepherd goes in our tribe. 
to come and talk to your shepherds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gil is not only compassionate, um, he has hands-on, first-hand ex- experience with this conversation, and I'll let Gil tell you more of that story. And he's the most well-read person in this area that I know. He's read uh, far more than I have, and so uh, I, I will defer to our board chair. I want to also introduce uh, Miriam and Mark Upton. Miriam is a uh, centerpiece uh, assistant, lives in Memphis, and many of you have probably talked to her on the phone or sent her an email, and she has uh, graciously responded. So we're glad that they could be with us today. And they are excellent resources as well with firsthand experience as mom and dad, as parents. So uh, feel free to pick their brains uh, in the time that we have remaining. All right. Would you join me? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you breathe on us? Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Holy Spirit, let me see all the things you are. All the things you want me to be. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. All the things you are. All the things you want me to be. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Amen. See you in about 10 minutes.